0: this is the insurance buzz and we are your host michael and courtney weaver we coach insurance professionals business owners and people just like you every day on how to live a life and have a business you are excited about
1: here on the insurance buzz we share the wins the losses and everything in between that comes with being married business partners training in the insurance space and growing our business side by side We also connect with other business owners and leaders making their mark in the world and hopefully inspire you to make yours.
0: In today's episode, we sit down with Steph Tuss. Steph is the CEO of a multi-million dollar global consulting company, Life Is Now, and a frequent co-host of the Business Daily News top-ranked podcast, The Successful Mind. We're going to be discussing everything from building an amazing culture, having psychological safety in that culture, how to attract A players, and how to hold people accountable without feeling like the enemy. With that being said, let's start the show. Welcome to the Insurance Buzz. We are your host, Michael and Courtney Weaver, and we have a special guest with us today, Steph Tuss. Steph, how are you?
1: I am so well. How are you guys? Oh, we are so good. We're so
0: freaking excited to be talking to you today. Uh, uh.
1: So Steph is one of our business coaches. Steph has been a huge motivation, inspiration, and leader in our lives. She was actually the one that got us started on the 5 p.m. solution. Our healthy
0: boundaries <laughs> separating work and life.
1: Um, and you're the CEO of a multi-million dollar consulting firm. Um business life is now before we get into what you do you have a very special story and it relates to the insurance space and leading a team so before we get into leadership and what you need to do to lead a team and holding people accountable if you don't mind if you would share that story with us
2: i would love to so this story happened about a month ago about a month and a half ago i was heading to san diego to actually attend a business conference And, um, this, this guy sat next to me, I was traveling by myself. This, this guy sat next to me and I was working away on my computer. My most productive time, honestly, is either in the car or on an airplane because nobody can walk into my office or interrupt me. So I love working on a plane or in my, in, uh, in the car. And I was just like working away, had my headphones in, you know, took my headphones out for a minute and he let, he leaned over and he's like, I hope you don't think I'm really creepy. But I see you're using Chat GPT and I've got a lot of questions about it. And I was like, I would love to talk Chat GPT with you. And I just started having this conversation with him. And I asked him, you know, told him, you know, what I did and that I was a business owner. And he said, actually, I'm, I'm a small business owner too. And it turns out that he owns a power washing company in Grand Rapids, uh, uh Michigan. And so we were just like, you know, talking about business and how I'm using Chat GPT. Um, for our business, I actually I'm, I actually ended up writing like a whole promo email series for him on ChatGPT to show him because I just I, it's so easy and so exciting for me. And we were just talking about business in general, and he was talking about like a, a a huge like rapid growth that he's undergone in the last like you know nine eight to nine months. And I said that's amazing, like congratulations. And we started talking about like what he's built into his business to create that. And he said, well, actually about, you know, I think it was like 16 months ago. I don't remember the exact number of months, but he said, you know, about 16 months ago, my business burned down. And I'm thinking, like, when people tell me their business burned down, it usually means like, you know, a bunch of clients left or they had team issues. And I'm like, oh, are you having a hard time hiring? Because a lot of the service-based people that we've had conversations with, certainly in like the trades, they're having a difficult time hiring good talent right now. Um, And he's like, no, actually, that's not it. And I was like, well, what do you mean? What do you mean your business burned down? And he got really quiet. And he's like, you know, I don't normally tell people this. And I was like, oh man, this is going to be, this is going to be good. And he pulls out his phone and he scrolls and he finds this picture. And he's like, no, really, it literally burned down. And I, I get emotional thinking about like, what his face looked like when he showed me that picture because it literally was, the foundation of the building that his business had occupied. Like there was nothing left of his business. This is a power washing business, right? So all of his equipment, all of his equipment was in like in this building, in the garages and everything. And, and I was just like, Oh my God, literally it, it burned down. I'm like, what happened? And I started talking to him about insurance. And it turned out that he only had dwelling coverage, like the actual building coverage, but he didn't have coverage for the contents of the building. So it was like a, I don't know, it was like a $850,000 loss that insurance covered 300000 of. Like insane. Like I, I was just like, oh my, oh my God. And it turned out it was, he told me the story. His ex-wife was the one that applied for the insurance. She didn't know what she didn't know. Insurance agent didn't like say, Hey, you really need this. He didn't know that they didn't have that coverage. So it was like a, it was just, it was missed. Yeah. Right. It was a oopsie. It was just missed. And he literally said, I went back to my house and I just was thinking, well, I'm going to have to file bankruptcy. And like, there's nothing like I can't recover from this. I don't have the money to be able to buy the equipment that I need to service my clients. Like, there's just no way that I can recover from this. And the next morning, his entire team showed up on his front doorstep. They had gone to his competitors in the area and asked to borrow their equipment. They had loaded the equipment into their own cars (laughs) And they had showed up saying, let's go, we're gonna do this. We got a plan for this. And they built everything back up. And the following two months were his best, his best two months in revenue. And he was back up and running, back in business. Like the story, I was like, you you're like, this doesn't happen, you know, like this doesn't happen, especially with a power washing company. I mean, these are like, these are like young guys that are, you know, like it's it's manual labor. Like how what and my mind, because I'm a total culture junkie, I'm I'm a I'm so passionate about leadership. I started asking him questions like, why do you think they did that? Why do you think they showed up and, and like rallied around you? And he's like, well, you know, I don't know. I just treat people really well. And I'm like, come on. It's got to be a lot more than you just treating people really well. And he started talking about how he's created this culture within his company. He didn't even realize that it was a culture that he was creating, like, they would set goals together as a team. And then when they hit the goals, he would do something really special for them and include their families. Like he was actually kind of mentoring these young guys that he was, he was also giving a job to along the way. And he provided a fantastic workplace for them where they felt safe. There was psychological safety. They could share ideas. Um, and he made them feel like they were cared about. Like it's a huge testament to culture. And I always say this to our business owners. Look, if your business burned down tomorrow, would your team show up on your doorstep with a plan? If not, you need to take a look at who you've got, who you've hired and how you're, how you've created your culture. Because without that, I'm telling you, people just would have started looking for another job. They would have gone to the competitors and said, Hey, Tim's, Tim's business just burned down. Are you looking to hire? Instead, they took it upon themselves to solve the problem for him because they knew he was gutted, like gutted, it's... insane story. And I'm sitting there, um, I'm sitting there on the plane and I'm thinking, man, like, and he was so humble, like just, he was just like, he's looking at me like, I'm crazy. And I'm like, you don't understand how extraordinary this is that you've been able to build that with. But this group of guys and the, the, how you make them feel inside has caused them to c- consistently have your back. They care about what they do, period.
1: Well, and I think too, uh, the competitor, like that's just who he is to have a competitor say, yeah, I'm willing to also help this person out.
2: Exactly. Like to, to have them go to a competitor and say, hey, Tim's just lost everything. Do you have any equipment that we could borrow? And then be like, yes. Yeah. Like it just proves that he's that type of person. He's that that generous. And the thing that killed me is that I was talking to him about these rewards, right? Like, so they hit a goal. What he does is he'll take them and their family bowling, or he'll rent a house with a swimming pool and he'll invite everybody to come over and they'll have a big picnic and the kids will be involved. Like it's he includes he includes people that his people care about, right? In that, in that culture. And he told me, he's like, you know, what's interesting that you say this is like, I've had two business coaches now tell me that that's a stupid idea and it hurts my profit margins. And I was like, tell me who those business coaches are (laughs) because I want to call them right now and tell them they're wrong. Like they're so wrong, right? You invest in your people and that comes back to you tenfold. And that's just a testament to this story is that, you know, thank God he didn't listen to those. Those business coaches, their only concern was the the profit margin. I mean, I like imagine what would have happened had he not yeah. had he not had the relationships and culture that he did. It's really phenomenal to me.
0: Such a powerful story, obviously, and <clears throat> thank you for sharing it. Because yeah. every you listening, what you do every single day matters. It matters more than I think any of us give. Anyone credit for. That's why I always say insurance professionals have the most noble profession in the world. So, but I want to talk about culture here Um, because not only that culture that you just explained, but I've got the culture that we experienced when we walked into your business was absolutely amazing. I mean, from the time we were greeted to just the warmness that we felt to everyone taking. Ownership and what they do and so I would love to talk about some some best practices you've seen you coached to uh, Around how to establish an amazing culture like like you have
2: So I really believe that it all starts with your vision So I don't think you can have an amazing culture without having a vision in place and interestingly enough Tim did have a vision in place like he knew where he wanted to go with his company and he knew what he wanted after his company um for us, everything starts with our vision. And when I say vision, I don't mean our mission statement or our purpose or our financial goal. I mean, what do we want the inside of our business to look like in three years? Kind of a 3D image. You guys know like how strongly I feel about, about vision. But if I can paint a picture of where, what I want the business to look like, feel like, what I want to be happening in the business th- three years from now, and I can get everybody else to see how they play a p- part in getting us there and also being there with us, that's step one. Because you're all in, the, in alignment. You're all headed toward the same thing. And that vision guides, that vision actually guides your culture. What kind of culture do we need to be able to experience this three years from now? Um, and then secondly, you got to have the right people on the bus. You could be like culture, culture, culture. And you've got BNC players on your team that are back channeling, or creating chaos or drama behind the scenes. And it just creates a cancer in your, in your business. So that step two is you really need to make sure you've got the right people on the bus. The cool thing with the vision is that the wrong people, if you keep feeding them that vision, they'll self select out mm-hmm. every time it happens. It's so interesting because, you, you know, we, I run, I run our business owners through this activity and they always say like, how are that like, I'm really worried about how this one person is going to react to this vision. And I'm like, well, let's just see how it plays out. And every single time, guess what? That one person self-selects out and leaves that makes, to make room for the right person to, to join the team. So I think, you know, to give you two things, those are the two key pieces in creating this is that everyone sees how they play a part in the vision and they're given the freedom to play that part, you know, without micromanaging, without, you know, all the all the wrong things that leaders do in in some instances um and you've got you've got a team of a players you got a team of people that are bought into the vision and and want to go the extra mile and care to take you there
1: so i want to get into a and b players but before i do that um I want to unpack this a little bit for our listeners. So if they're listening and they're like, yes, I'm all about it. Let's start. Where do you start creating a vision? Like what are some resources they can go to or how does that, how's that process begin?
2: Sure. So it's a really, really simple process and it's incredible how many people overcomplicate it and procrastinate on it. So I'm just going to say that up front. Um, There's a really great resource, fantastic book called Vivid Vision written by Cameron Harold, and his last name is spelled H-E-R-O-L-D. It was a game changer for us and our business, quite honestly. Um, But basically, what you do is you take yourself away to a quiet place. Don't do this in your office. Don't do this at home where you've got kids running around in the background or whatever. Take yourself to a quiet outdoor place, and you create like a concept map of your business. So you write the name of your business in the middle. And then you think of all the different areas in your business. So you've got sales, you've got marketing, you've got client success, you've got what are people saying about us, how we're making money, um, what we're selling, if we have curriculum or how we educate our clients, what's going on in finances, what's going on with media and social media and exposure. And you write all those categories out. And under each category, you kind of imagine yourself stepping into a time machine. And that time machine is transporting you Three years into the future and you step out of that time machine and you step into your business three years into the future and you simply write down what you see, hear and experience. Right. So one of the, one of the, um, the categories is environment. So what is the environment like in your business three years from today? What's happening with sales in your business three years from today? What's happening with your, um, uh, your marketing 3 years from today and you map it all out and then you take all of that like mind dump and you put it into a paragraph form this is where you can use chat gpt again by the way so you put it in paragraph form you upload it into chat gpt and you ask it write out this vision and add imagery and flourish because the idea is that when you when you read this vision you want to be able to see a mental picture of what this looks like you want to be able to feel it in your body There's emotions attached to it and you want to be able to visualize it in your, in your mind. That's how you create your vision. It's very simple. However, your vision is very personal to you. People resist the crap out of writing this down and they resist even more sharing it with their team. So what I suggest is put it on your calendar, stick to it and then have someone hold you accountable. Like everybody that does this with me, they have to tell me exactly what date they're sharing this with their team. And then I'm like, did you share it with your team? No, something came up. I'm like, of course it did. When are you going to share it with your team? Right? Because it's personal to you and it's actually very vulnerable to share your vision with other people because what if they, what if they think it's dumb? What if they reject it? What if they, what if they're not in agreement with it? Then what? But the truth is, is that your team wants that from you. They want to know where you're going. They want to know why they're doing what they're doing, especially if they're A players. Like, why am I showing up and doing these things every single day? I I want something that's more than a paycheck because I'm an A player, right? I want to feel like I'm a part of something. I want to help build something. I want to create more impact. I want to see our clients succeed. Um, and it's it's interesting to me how often... You know, when I say, have you shared the vision? And the business owner says, oh my God, you will not believe what's happened since I've shared the vision. We've got one person in a department totally unrelated coming up with ideas to help us achieve our vision in this area. They didn't feel empowered to be able to say anything because it wasn't their area anymore. But because this is our new vision, everybody's working together to get us there. So we're leveraging the gifts and talents of everybody rather than feeling like we as the business owner have to build this vision by yourself.
0: Mm. <clears throat> I love it. When we did the exercise, it was
1: uncomfortable. It was very,
0: unco- <laughs> very uncomfortable. Um, but it was so good to really, cause we had done one year, five year, 10 vision, 10 year visions before, but this was just a different, it was a different feeling. It was a different like way of thinking because it's not only the vision, but Where's the business going? Who's on the team? How does it feel? And what does the lifestyle look like that we want to like? Why are we even, Why are we doing this? And then the the biggest thing that I'd, I'd like love for you to talk about here is is also so it's one thing to create the vision, all right? Yeah. But then it's really easy to put the vision back in the closet and not re- so how like what are you recommending? What would you recommend for someone that does sit down? They take the time they they create a new vision how do they communicate that to their team and and then what does the consistency after that look like?
2: So I'll tell you what we do, which works really well. Um, every single Monday morning, we gather as a team and we read the vision. So I start, it matters who starts because if you bring really crappy vision, really crappy energy Monday morning to the vision, everybody else will match that and Mm -hmm. your vision will be like, right? So I start and I'm like, let's do this. It's vision time. Like, let's see, let's see what's happening. Like, let's, let's read this through and take a look at like, how are we doing here? Are we making any progress? Right. So our entire team reads it. I start and it's broken into sections by, you know, um, uh, departments and everybody takes a section, not their own section. Everybody takes a section and reads it. it. Usually takes us about seven or eight minutes to read through the whole thing. And then at the end I'll say, okay, how are we doing? What's changed? So part of our vision is that our office has a homey feel and that it has, um, updated testimonials that line the wall that tell our client stories. So for the last, I don't even know, five weeks, our, um, our office manager has been like pulling together all these amazing testimonials and ordering these frames and getting them in frames to put them up on the wall. So we're like, okay, that wouldn't have happened without the vision. And we're talking about how, and part of our vision is that we only work with people that we really enjoy working with at our ideal clients. How are we doing there? We're attracting 90% now of our ideal clients rather than before where we were attracting like 50% ideal clients, 50% non-ideal clients, because our focus is on honing our message because of our vision, right? So we're constantly reading it every single week and we're also constantly comparing like, how are we doing? Are we are we moving closer to our vision or are we moving further away from our vision? So it's not necessarily attached to metrics. That's something else that we do in the business. Um, this is really more qualitative than quantitative. Like the whole purpose of the vision is to get people galvanized and excited about where they're going. Um, and everyone focused on seeing the same thing in the same place at the same time. Um, and it, it just, it, like my team members will say, it's so helpful to read this because what, ha- I mean, Look, guys, we're all small business owner. What what happens during the week in a small business? Everything <laughs> yeah. happens. You You're have playing. upset clients. You have like you have yeah. personal stuff. You've got team stuff. You've got. I mean, like it's ho- it's really hard to stay focused because there's always something pulling at you, drawing your attention. But even just setting aside that small time to just really refocus and then say, okay, how are we doing? Like maintains that it's not lost in the shuffle of life and business.
0: Are you tired of hiring new producers only to find out that your sales numbers aren't improving? It's a common problem in the insurance industry, but the solution isn't always to keep hiring new people. Instead, it's time to invest in a comprehensive training program that can transform your existing team into top performing producers. Our insurance training program is designed to help your team achieve measurable sales success. We understand the unique challenges of the insurance industry and have developed a training program that addresses those challenges head on our program covers everything from prospecting and lead generation to closing deals and retaining clients. There's so much more to the program. So if you're interested in joining the program, that's helped over 10,000 insurance agents nationwide, visit www.weaversa.com or send me a text directly at 816-727-7610 with any questions to find out more.
1: said something earlier that I want to touch on and that's psychological safety. And Mm -hmm. it seems like that has to be set before you feel comfortable, before your team feels comfortable sharing their ideas. So touch on that a little bit and share what that, what that means.
2: So psychological safety is a term that was coined by a researcher named Amy Edmondson. And she wrote a really great book called, (laughs) I can never (laughs) remember. The Fearless Organization. Yay. The Fearless Organization by Amy Edmondson. And it's quite a read. Like, it'll take you a while to get through it. But it's based on the premise that psychological safety means that people aren't afraid to speak their mind, to debate, to create, um, positive conflict because they're not afraid of ramifications. They're not afraid of losing their job. They're not afraid of being humiliated. They're not afraid of being embarrassed. Um, so if you're a leader that can create that psychological safety, that's where innovation occurs. When your business doesn't have psychological safety, people don't feel like it's safe for them to share their ideas because they might be stupid. There might be repercussions. There might be backlash. Or they might get fired. They also don't take risks because they're afraid they're going to make a mistake and then be embarrassed or ashamed or lose their job. So it's really important to build psychological safety if you want a team of people that will innovate and that will share their ideas, which you must have to grow and scale your business because you cannot be the smartest person in the room. It's just not possible for you to be the smartest person in the room and also
1: grow. So I think this also goes into A and B players. So you have psychological safety. How do you build that? How do you sustain that? What does that even look like? Yeah.
2: So it all starts with you. So psychological safety is really about making sure that you allow for vulnerability in your business. Um, it's very not like old traditional leadership, which was very author- authoritarian and like um, rigid. This is about you as a leader showing your team that it's okay to be vulnerable. So what does that look like? That looks like I'm the leader of the company and I've just made a mistake. Instead of making excuses or blaming whatever the, mis- why the, why the mistake happened, I take full responsibility and I say, guys, man, did I ever make a mistake? Here's the mistake that I made. Here's why I made that mistake. Here's what I learned from it so that it doesn't happen again. So you make, you make mistakes. Okay. You show that you're infallible, that you are okay making mistakes, that there is a gift in those mistakes. And that gives your team permission to do the same. So suddenly they stop being afraid of making mistakes. Suddenly they start making decisions on their own without having to come to you to fix all of the problems and, and um, answer all of the questions. And that's just one single thing. Like I, I'm gonna, my, my team will tell you, I, I apologize easily because I make mistakes, right? So if you apologize easily, they know she apologizes easily. I can apologize easy. I can take responsibility for my stuff. She calls out her own mistakes and says what she learns about it. That makes me feel safe to do that as well. Right? And it's little things like popping into someone's office to just say, hey, how was your weekend? And looking them in the eye. It's when someone has a conversation with you, give them your full undivided attention. Don't be looking at your phone or doing something on your computer while they're trying to have a conversation with you. It's showing people that it's okay to be human and that you care about them as as a human being. And there are like 150 different things that you can do to build psychological safety in your organization. But for me, I really think that we've built psychological safety very quickly because of my willingness to be vulnerable. Like me totally goofing up on a, on a webinar and owning it in front of the entire audience and like laughing it off, right? Shows them that they can make a mistake and laugh it off too. I mean, We did a webinar one time. This was crazy. We did a webinar one time. I forgot. I forgot to to, maybe I shouldn't tell this story.
1: (laughs) Now you're like, hold on. All right, let's get
2: it. We did did a webinar one time. We had like 1,200 people on this thing. It was our very first Zoom webinar, like kind of right when, like right in the middle of COVID when everyone had to pivot and go to to Zoom. So we were doing like our first big event. There was like 1,200 people or something, 1,400. I don't know. A lot of people. And I forgot to set the Zoom so that people couldn't take... Control of our, of our screen. And we had pornographic hijackers (laughs) drawing penises (laughs) on the screen. And I'm up there. I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, guys, that's not part of the show. We're really not about drawing penises. And then I said, never thought I'd say penis on a webinar in front of 1200 people. And I, I had to make like, I just had to own it. Like, whoops, we're learning. Like, stay with us, guys. We'll get this figured out. And then my digital media producers got it figured out and we moved on. But me doing that, A, showed showed the audience that I'm I'm a real person and I'm vulnerable, which actually drew them in because I'm not some like fake person that's going to, you know, get angry at something I can't control. And it also showed my team that it was okay that it happened, right? So they didn't like mistakes are okay. We learn from it, never happened again, and now it's just like a funny story that we tell sometimes. Like, remember that time? Um, but that's really how you build psychological safety: is is you allow vulnerability in your business.
0: Mm, that's good. So. That's really good.
1: I'm over here chuckling because I can only imagine I would go off on so many tangents like this is not only fans. I'm so sorry. Like I, I, I should have charged more money for the webinar. I didn't know this was going to happen. Like my brain immediately would have like lost control. So I, I love that you could keep composure
0: on the, the psychological safety. It, it reminds me of what you said the other day. And it was kind of a meme, but it's like that. Teams are looking forward to being led by millennials because we're always like, "How are you? How are you?" We're the mom and
1: (laughs) the moms and dads of the of the workforce. Um, Yeah, I think it's just we're shifting our how we lead people, how we listen to people. It just looks different, and I I think it's a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Yeah,
2: I don't. You know, it's interesting because someone said to me that was a leader of a company. They're like, you know, I'm just really uncomfortable with authority. And I looked at them and I'm like, I do not consider myself an authority. In fact, I feel like I work for my team, not the other way around. Like my job is to make them better. My job is to support them so that they can do their job better so that the company grows. It's not so they can do my bidding or constantly come to me for the right answer. Like this is not a a good, healthy team. There's not an, an authority. At the helm, right? It's you're all. It's a meritocracy. It's the best idea wins, not the person with the strongest opinion.
1: Well, and I think that also fosters the reason that you go into being a business owner or the insurance field is freedom. And if you're having everything bottleneck at you, you've lost all of that. If you're not empowering your people, right? And the
2: best way to empower your people is every time they come to you with a question. You respond with, what do you suggest?
0: Mm. Mm.
2: What do you suggest? That's good. What's your solution? So I've made it a habit not to solve anyone else's problems. They're not my problems to solve. I have enough of my own problems to solve. I don't need to solve everybody else's problems. So when someone comes to me with a problem, my team knows that they come with a couple of different options of how to solve that problem already. And then we just talk through what might be the best option. And they've done that because I've consistently asked, what do you suggest? Well, what do you think would be in the best interest of the company? Which is the second question. What's in the best interest of the company? Because a lot of people, especially B and C players will d- default to what's in the best interest of them. Man. An a player will think what's in the best interest of the company.
0: And what you just hit on, <clears throat> I've got to admit that is definitely a struggle of mine. Cause when somebody brings, I just want to offer a solution yes. and move on. And so I've, Really tried to no. work.
2: <laughs> well, look, yeah, that's what makes you a fantastic entrepreneur, right? Entrepreneurial traits. You're problem solvers. You're resourceful. You can deal really well in chaos. Like, you're like, bring it on. So when someone comes to with a problem, your innate, like, compulsion is to answer it. But that's the opposite of what you need to, you need to do. Yep. That'll only take you so far, right? Yep.
0: Yep. So I want to touch just a little bit before we get into accountability. Cause I also want to go there real fast because <laughs> you know I've, I've always struggled with accountability, but a players and B players, yep. how like, it's fun to talk about like, yeah, we all want a players, but how do we actually attract a players? Um, I'd love, I'd love your opinion on this.
2: So first a players like to work with other a players and a players like to know what they're working toward. So they like to be a part of something bigger and there's, um, I'm just full of books today there's another great book um, that talks about a players and b players it's called the ideal team player and it's by pat lencioni it's a fantastic mm. book oh, so um good. and he really talks about an a player really has three qualities they're hungry they're humble and they're smart and by hungry that means that they actually enjoy going above and beyond right they don't blame they don't like oh i'm such a victim they actually like get energized by going above and beyond they are humble, meaning they give appreciation to other people. So do, do they need to be the center of attention and take all the credit? Or are they the people that are like, oh, the only reason we were successful is because my team is incredible, right? Or because this person did this and they're co- they're constantly giving kudos. That's a humble person. And they're smart and not the kind of smart like intelligence smart. They're smart in in the terms of they understand how they affect other people. You all know the the people in the world that are completely clueless about how they affect other people. Right? Like, there are the people that will take off their shoes and open a tuna sandwich in an airplane. Right? Like, completely, they don't care. They're like, I don't care how I affect you. Not an A player in the, in the working, in the working sense. So, there are questions that you can ask in an interview to determine if someone's an A player, but it's not the answers that you're looking for. It's the energy behind the answers that they're telling you. Um, but the big thing is, is that A players are looking to work with other A players. So if you if you hire an A player and you're constantly saying that you're going to do something and you don't, you're not being an A player and they're not going to want to work with you for very long, right? If you're you hire an A player and you're not humble, meaning you're not giving accolades, you're not giving appreciation, they're not going to want to work with you. If you hire an A player and they have no idea why they're doing what they're doing, and how that impacts other people, they're not going to stay working for you. So you have to be an A player to attract A players. Which means you have to be your word, do what you say you're going to do. You have to create psychological safety in your business. You have to clearly communicate what it is, why you're doing what you're doing. What's the impact that you want to make? How do you want, how do you want, what experience do you want to give your clients so they can see how they fit into that? And You have to make sure that they're surrounded by other A players.
0: How about compensation?
2: So, compensation. A players will cost you more, but they will do the work of two B players and three C players. Mm. So, yes, you will pay a little bit more for them, but they will pay you back in spades. Spades.
1: Okay. All right, let's get into accountability because conflict and holding people accountable it ooh it just it makes my hairs on the back of my neck stand up i'm like okay let's start holding people accountable so how can you do this as a leader without feeling like the bad guy so
2: you do this by setting up agreements so the old form of accountability is some big guy in a suit tells you what you need to be doing in your business what you need to be doing in your job and then every year you have a review where he tells you if you did a good job or not and then your compensation is based on that and you have never had input into how you're being measured right like totally archaic way of accountability um what we do is something called measures of success so once a year and then quarterly I'll say to my team, okay, based on your role, I want you to come up with five to seven things that you do on a consistent basis that you think are the highest value to your role. Because let's be honest, I'm not in their role. Like, I think I know what makes them successful in their role, but I wanna know what they think makes them valuable and successful in their role. And then I'll say, and I'll bring five to seven things. And we're gonna sit down, we're gonna talk about what are the five to seven things that need to be done consistently for you to feel like you're a success in this role. And so we have those meetings. And the fascinating thing is, is that they're, they have way higher expectations for themselves than I brought to the table because they get input and they have a say, and then we agree on those. And so th- then those become agreements. And when you have agreements, you have buy-in. When you give someone an expectation, you, you don't have buy-in, Right. When you make agreements, you have buy-in. And when you have buy-in, then if they're not hitting their own measures of success, that allows you to come up next to them rather than across from them and say, hey, I see you're struggling hitting your measures of success. How can I support you in making sure you're hitting those? Like, what's going on? How can I help? Rather than you're not meeting your KPIs. This is unacceptable. You need to do something to meet your KPIs. Right. So it, so you, it allows you to come in as a support role, as an ally, because let's be honest. What's the goal? The goal is, is that those measures of success are hit. And when they're hit, the company wins. The goal isn't to make someone wrong or to discipline someone. The goal for this, this, this kind of accountability is a win-win for everybody. And it completely takes the conflict out of it because you're not coming at them. You're coming next to them and saying, Hey, these are the measures of success that you agreed upon. So is it that these were too unrealistic. Like, has something changed, or tell me, tell me what's getting in the way of you of you being able to hit this? And it's fascinating to me um, because, I, and then we follow up with conversations quarterly. Like, how are you doing? How are you feeling about these? Because roles change, and you know, business, small business is always in flux. And you know, I'll come to the table, and they'll literally say, "I'm not hitting this measure of success." Like, okay, let's talk about why. And it might—I—I I would have no idea what's going on without this this conversation of like, why aren't you hitting your measures of success? Well, I'm writing it in my notebook, but then I'm not loading it into the right place. I'm going home and 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 just not doing it. It's not that I don't want to do it; I just forget. So I'm like, okay, well, how about you put little Post-it flags in your notebook, and if you see Post-it flags, you can't—you don't leave the office until those Post-it flags have been entered. Oh my God, great idea! Guess what? The measures of success are now being met, right? So it allows for that collaboration of problem solving between two people. And the goal in mind is that everybody wins. The goal in mind is that those measures are hit. That's the kind of accountability that we, um, we practice in, in our company. It's not like you did this wrong. You, you're not doing this correctly. It's everybody takes personal responsibility for their role. They're all very clear on what they're responsible for. And we've got agreements in place rather than these handed down archaic KPIs that you know everybody thinks that they need to have in their business but are actually counterproductive because they just make everybody feel bad.
1: How often are you... So you're doing this quarterly, the measures of success. Are you touching mm-hmm. base at any other point or... Yep.
2: Yeah. So I make it a... I make it a habit to pop into offices. Uh, That's another way to establish psychological safety is going to like going to them, either pop into their virtual whatever, or, you know, we have a physical office. I know that if I Skype someone and say, Hey, can I see you in my office? Immediately the response is fear, right? It's, it goes back to childhood when you're called down to the principal's office, right? You're just like, Oh shit, what did I do? I'm in big trouble. You know, if I go to them and pop my head in and be like, Hey, how's it going? How are your measures of success? You feeling good about them? Like, have you taken a look at them lately? And they're like, yeah, I'm feeling really good. I'm having a little trouble with this measure of success. And then it's a quick conversation of, okay, well, how can I help? And then I move on. And in most cases, like, they all hit their measures of success. Some cases, someone has set a measure that's too, too far of a reach and we need to dial it back. In some cases, someone's put a measures of success on their, on their sheet that they're really not they really don't think is that important anymore. So we replace it with a new one that they think is more important. Um, So it's constantly in this flux, but you have to remember that the goal is that the company wins.
1: Okay. I'm, I'm like tearing this one apart because I love this so much. Are you setting up measures of success and agreements towards a financial goal or is this more vision based? Like, what are we bumping up against?
2: Nope. This is all what 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 needs to happen for them to be successful in their role. Hmm. So it's different for everyone. So if you've got sales, what needs to happen for them to be successful in their role in sales? One measure of success might be that they have a 65 percent close rate with all with all incoming leads. One might be that it might be as general as I leave everybody better than when I first found them, whether I sell them or not, right? One, and you can, you can measure that by doing, by doing after surveys. One for a salesperson might be that they enter data. They enter their data every day before they leave because without that, If they got hit by a bus the next day, nobody would know what's going on with their pipeline, right? So it's really interesting to to have these conversations with your team members because what they think is important should match up with with what you think is important. But because you're not 100% in their role, you might be missing something that's really important that they see that you don't. So it creates this amazing conversation. And it's not based on, I mean, it's, everyone's got the vision in the back of their mind, but it really is, this is my role. How do I know if I'm being successful in my role? And if you walk into most companies and you ask the team members or employees that question, they'll say that I'm here on time. Like they, they they don't actually know what makes them successful in their, in their role, right? They don't know what that measure is where, You know, our team, they know exactly what it means to be successful in their role. And if they're successful in their role, then that means that the company as a whole is successful. And then that means that we'll make more money because money is just a happy side effect of doing all the right things within a business.
0: All right. I've got a, I've also got a follow-up question to this (laughs) and this, and this could go back to an A player versus B player. Okay. With where my mindset's going with this. But if you hire someone brand new, maybe they've never been in the industry, are you as the leader trying to, I don't want to say guide them, but giving them ideas on what it could potentially look like to be successful in their role or what does that look like?
2: Yeah. So with a new hire, you give them, you're like, here are your starting, like, this is what we think we need from you for you to be successful in your role. We're going to give you a quarter to work in this role and then we're going to meet and we're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you based on your experience, what do you think are the most important things that you do? In this role that add the most value to the company. And then we're gonna take a look at that and see if, if what we've given you is actually true and allow you some some buy in. Because you have to give them something to shoot for when they're first when they're first starting. Okay. Okay.
1: So good. I could do this all day long. I could lead you down so many different <laughs> rabbit holes.
0: How much time you got, Steph? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no.
1: <laughs> Steph's so good. Before we hopped on this podcast, we're like, we always ask how much time do you have? This is how you know that <laughs> This woman is fantastic. She said, "I have blocked an hour out for this." I'm like, "Hell yeah, boundaries, baby!" Uh, it's, it's so good. If somebody wants to connect with you, if somebody wants to work with you, follow along. I know you have a lot of things going on. What's the easiest way to connect?
2: To me personally, the easiest way is through my Instagram account. I'm on it. I'm, I'm, it's not. Nobody's getting catfish. There's no like weird bot or weird like AI person answering my my chat. It's me. Um, so my Instagram is just at Steph Tuss, um, or you can find all kinds of information about
1: us on our website, which is lifeisnowinc.com. And you have an incredible podcast. I was just going to
0: say the same thing. Your all's podcast oh, yeah. is amazing. The Successful
1: Mind podcast is, yeah. I binge that. That's actually how I found out. Here's a fun fact for you listening. Steph and I have the same birthday. Yes, we do. January 6th, Capricorns Unite. That's how I found that out was on the podcast. It was the control freak one. I was like, oh, probably should listen to this one a little bit. (laughs) Steph, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing your knowledge, especially that story in the very beginning. I, I know all of us listening that are in the insurance space, it just reinforces how important it is what we do every single day. And I appreciate you sharing that with us.
2: Absolutely, you've got to fight for your clients. They just don't see it. I mean, honestly, that, there are so many stories of that, you know, people underinsured, losing things because their insurance agent wasn't strong enough to have a hard conversation
0: Yep. Hey, so, Amen. Amen. Yeah. Hey, well, thank you so much, Steph, and my pleasure. For you that is listening, thank you so much for your support as always. time is the most valuable and important asset that we all have. We appreciate you spending time with us, Steph. Thank you again. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Insurance Buzz. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, and leave a rating and review. If you want to take your insurance agency to the next level and join our community, simply check out Weaver Sales Academy at www.weaversa.com. Again, That's www.weaversa.com, or visit the show notes on our new and current programs we have available exclusively for you. As always, time is the most valuable and important asset that we all have, and I appreciate you spending it with me. See you on the next episode.